When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. Santana into the windup. The payoff pitch on the way. Swung out and missed. Strike three. He's done it. Johan Santana has pitched a no-hitter. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the Free Odyssey app. Mackey's back in On this Friday morning, we made it. It's a football Friday, end of the week. Let's go. I got you for three hours till five o'clock in the warm up show, 877 337 6666. We got Fliegelman on the other side. Jack is back with us today, and we got you here for three hours on the fan. And the New York Knicks, we talked about it. We talked about the test. Well, I think they aced it. I think someone, somebody, they either copied the test or it was just abacadabra all the way down on that scantron because this was easy. How about that? 122 to 84 over the Denver Nuggets. And I'll be totally honest with you. I caught a little nap in the fourth quarter because that game was over. And Fleegelman, too, we were napping in the fourth quarter. I didn't even watch the end of the game against the defending champion Denver Nuggets. And the one-eyed joker. What a performance from the Knicks. It's hard to judge almost because it was such a blowout. But I didn't. I mean, I knew they were coming off a long road trip, right? The fifth game of a road trip. And the Knicks had the exact right plan. And I'm sure most of this, I don't think it's any, you know, I don't think they had to um, ask Chad uh, GPT to figure out the, I don't think they had to go through AI to come up with the plan. I don't think it's a brilliant plan necessarily. I'm sure it's on a plan for most nights in many different scenarios. But come out, punch them in the mouth, play tough defense to start the game, and see if they fold off a long road trip ready to get home. And we know nobody likes to be home more than the Joker, although he played fairly well in this game, even after getting poked in the eye. He scored uh, 31 points in the game. But, man, oh, man, they came out early and set the tone and just absolutely took apart the Denver Nuggets and scored at will. And really, it was the defense early on. And, you you know, again, the depth of this team that I continue to go on and on about and how they need to bolster the depth if they really want to be a championship contender. But you can't argue right now. I mean, you get news, you know, somewhat, maybe a couple hours before the game, my time before that. I'm always sleeping. I don't know. Whenever the story broke that Hartenstein again was going to miss the game, which you kind of figured, but when he gets announced as missing the game, you figure, all right, I mean, you got, you're going up against Jokic, uh, you got uh, Achua, and you got Sims, and it's a scary proposition. And while we did see a couple of no-look passes and you see how Jokic seems the court, it's, you know, second to none, especially at his position. But you were worried about the the this, this you know, the depth of this team at the, at the, at that position at the five without Hartenstein and obviously without Mitchell Robinson now for the long haul. And yet, it didn't seem to impact the game. They play well. Uh, Achua plays 23 minutes in a blowout, but he gets 10 rebounds again. He got nine the other day, 10 minutes, uh, 10 rebounds in this game. And it's just ho-hum. And they are now 11-2 since the trade. Ananubi scored uh, a team-high 26, the most he scored since becoming a Nick, he's a plus 38 in this game. He is a plus-minus monster. Every single game, the guy is at least plus 10. At least every single game. And as you look at this Knicks team, they came out, and after, you know, the idea that Brunson did not get, and I will get into that a little bit, he's not going to be an all-star based on the fan voting. And I think the fan voting, and the idea we're getting all over Nick fans, let's be totally honest, I don't even know, would he go online and vote? Who takes the time 
quite honestly. All right, if you show up in the building and they hand you a pamphlet, you fill it out, you know, you and your kids, fine. But, like, like do I go online to vote? I, I love I love Brunson. I love this team. I haven't even contemplated going online and voting for an All-Star. I haven't even thought about it. So, like, we're getting on the Knicks fans because, you know, Lillard got more fan vote. Who gives a damn? Let them worry about that in Milwaukee. I think it's it's just it annoys me that the Knicks fan will get The Knicks fan just took over a, an opposing opponent's building. I know it's in, I know it's in Brooklyn. I know, uh, you know, the Nets are awful. It's not like they went out and, and took over the, you know, the Boston Garden. But, like, this, this, this Knicks fan base is enormous right now and loving this team, and we're going to get on them because they didn't vote. Uh, Brunson into the All-Star game. I don't even know where to vote. It's so dumb. Anyway, they get that news. You get the Hardenstein news that he wasn't going to play in this game, and they come out and from jump are determined to win this game and determined. And I and I talked about it yesterday, 19-0 against under 500 teams. That meant 8-17 and against good teams in this NBA. And they knew the Denver Nuggets, obviously, again, off a long road trip. And parts of me, it is a little bit hard to get a feel for how much of a statement this game is. Because going into these two games, and they have a game 3 o'clock on Saturday against Miami, who got beat by the Celtics pretty good last night. I mean, if you, this is the big, you know, that's a big game now. You have to follow up this with a good performance on Saturday against Miami. Like that, that, because ultimately, I knew these two games were tests. Right, and I think the Knicks are probably tired about hearing about not being able to beat good teams, and that this eleven and two record, uh, well, ten and two going into the game with a couple of exceptions, was built on bad teams. And to go out there and make a statement and be determined to play the way they played, and absolutely take the Denver Nuggets out back to the woodshed and own this game from Jump Street. I mean, this game was never in question. They win the first quarter by 12, and away you go. And they're up 21 at the half, and this game was never in doubt. And Ananobi, Ananobi just continues to be an absolute beast. He continues to hit the corner three. He continues to be a plus player. Uh, the team continues to just absolutely fit. The depth of this team continues to step up. Even McBride was obviously good in this game, four for five from the three-point line, as he's trying to really uh, you know, save his job here as the Knicks are out in the trade market looking to add a Brogdon or someone of that elk to come take his spot. He comes through and hits four or five from the three-point line. And the Knicks shot just about 40% from the three-point line in this game. But, I mean, it's hard to judge what kind of statement this game is. Because you knew going in, both of these next two games were going to be statement material. And you were going to find out a lot about the Knicks. And ultimately, to blow out the Nuggets like this, you feel great about the team. To keep the pressure on, to never let up. To never let... I mean, how many times have you seen a game be 21 at the half, especially against a good team like the Nuggets? Uh, obviously, defending champs. How many times do you see that 21-point lead become 7 at one point? Or 6 at one point? Even if you win the game, they they whittle that lead down. And really, almost never in this game did it get to that point. They kept their foot on the gas pedal the entire game and took the champs out to the woodshed. And so as much, uh, you know, it's a huge statement game, but it's almost as if the Nuggets just were, you know, I don't want to downplay it at all because as a Nick fan, this team is impossible not to just fall in love with. I've talked more about the Knicks in the last two weeks than I have in the four years I've been hosting at somewhat of a regular pace on this station. It has been an absolute joy to watch them play. And the way they were determined to come out and take this game by the throat immediately and had an idea that if they do that, they could get a great team on the ropes off of, you know during a five-game East Coast road trip and catch them as they're ready to get home and understand that they might just fold if you do it. And they came out with that mentality and that game plan and that you know tough defense that has completely turned around since the trade. The trade has done so much. It's amazing. It's amazing the level of play they have had over the last you know 13 games to be 11-2 and two, and the way they've played these basketball games and then the, the idea that the defense has changed. Uh, just, the, the you know, Randall and Brunson have gotten better. DiVincenzo's gotten better. Uh, Hartenstein's emergence at, uh, roughly around the same time of the Mitchell injury has completely changed the team. And now even Sims and Achua come in and step in, and it, it's almost if you don't miss a beat. It's been remarkable what this coaching staff has done, what that trade has done, 
and to take the Denver Nuggets and beat them 122 to 84, the largest margin of deficit, the the lar- the worst defeat they've suffered all year, the least amount of points they scored in the first half all uh, or any half this entire season, and to hold them to 84 points and blow them out was about as fun and amazing a, a spectacle to watch at the Garden last night. And you are just thrilled with this team. They have cemented themselves as the fourth best team in this conference, in my opinion. And they get to take on Miami on Thursday, on, on Saturday. And that game now at 3 o'clock is just as important as this Denver game, if not so obviously more. And go get some revenge. I know it's a regular season game, and you can't get revenge for losing the series last year. And I do think Miami is a bit, you know, more of a playoff team, and we'll see how they perform. Obviously, one of the best head coaches in the sport, if not the best head coach in Spolstra, and they've added, and they sh- they should be getting better. They had a rough game against the Celtics. They're going to be looking to get back to their winning ways on Saturday. That's a big game. That is a big game come Saturday at three o'clock, and I think that would be. I don't care. They don't have to win 122 to 84 that game. You win by a point, and you've made your point. With these two victories. Go out and beat Miami. So right now, everything is just aces with the Knicks. You can't. It's hard to come up with a fault. Maybe the turnovers. But they forced so many from uh, the Denver Nuggets. It, you know, you saw the play Hart makes as Jokic is just dribbling the basketball. The effort, the energy. Uh, just everything about this game. Everything about this game. Everything about this run. And everything about this team just screams This team can actually make a run, and all they need is a little bit of depth. They don't need the superstar. Go get some depth. Go get someone who can lead that second unit and score some baskets on his own, and you might have a team. You might just have a team that can do something special. And right now, we were looking for a statement in these two games against Denver and against Miami, and you could not check a box any harder than the Knicks check box one. And now Saturday's the second box. Go out there and make a statement and win both of these games and solidify yourself as a contending team in the in the Eastern Conference and put away that whole 19-0 against bad teams, 8-17 against good teams, and establish that since that trade, you can't look at anything prior to it because the Knicks are, in, are a completely different team. The new-look Knicks are are a completely different team, and everything that happened before that trade is pointless. And I don't care who the All-Stars are. We know who the All-Stars are. And right now, they look like one of the best, if not the best team in the Eastern Conference or in the or in the entire NBA. And right now, you can't be more pumped about the Knicks. I am, I am just super pumped about the Knicks. And the other thing I'm pumped about, and we talked about it yesterday, is the other big story in town is that it looks like Bill Belichick will be waiting in the wings next season. And I love it. I love the Atlanta Falcons and their stupidity. And I shouldn't say that because, let's be honest, Raheem Morris is, is a good coach. And he deserves a second opportunity. He was thrusted into that uh, Tampa Bay job. It wasn't exactly an easy job. And he probably didn't get an opportunity to keep his job as long as he should have. He's worked his way back. He's been a bunch of different places as coordinator and, and, and coach, and he deserves a shot, and he's as good a coach. You know, that's a, that's a solid hire. But when you have an opportunity to hire Bill Belichick, and the idea that Bill Belichick and Marco just gave you the this, this, stat in, in the update, this is going to be the first time he's not coaching in the NFL since 1974. And you look around the league and you see some of the different hires, and now there's only two jobs left in Washington and Seattle, and it doesn't sound like he's going there. And you look at all the different coaches in this league who still have a job. or I mean, you could possibly, can you imagine, with all the jobs open, and this coaching carousel we talked about, and the three big names of Harbaugh, Belichick, and Vrabel, the idea that there's a chance that only Harbaugh gets hired and that Bill Belichick and Vrabel are waiting in the wings to pick their job next year, but maybe, who knows? I thought they'd have a chance to pick their job this year. And yet it doesn't look like either are going to get a job, and and Belichick specifically because of his relationship to the Giants, and we talked about it yesterday, and and the idea that you know Robert Sala as a Jets head coach has been so awful, that's become the storyline. And here's the thing for me. I love that he will be waiting in the wings for possibly both these teams. People seem to be disregarding the idea he despises the Jets franchise and despises Woody Johnson and this ownership, and maybe he'd be open to it. And now that he's sort of like, you know, the idea that he'd be so embarrassed, let me tell you something right now. Bill Belichick doesn't get embarrassed. 
I'm sorry. I know he went in there and, and interviewed twice for Atlanta and didn't get the job for whatever reason, and I think most people would view it this way. I think they made a huge mistake. When you have an opportunity, to, as much as I respect Raheem Morris, and I'm sure he'll do a fine job, when you get an opportunity to hire the best coach in NFL history, you take it. And what happened here is Rich McKay, the CEO of the Atlanta Falcons, won out a some somehow of a power struggle with this with Arthur Blank, who believes in some of the way they've been building this team. And he didn't want to scrap all of it. And obviously, Belichick is still looking for all the power inside the organization. And that just was something that scared Arthur Blank, was afraid that the whole thing would be broken down and you would be building with Bill Belichick, which is a promising prospect, but it may take time. Right? Which is the same reason I don't necessarily, as much as I love Bill Belichick, I'm so glad he'll be there next year. But for both of these teams, I for our local teams, I do not want them to reconsider. I do not want the idea that, hey, Bill Belichick has now been embarrassed. He's got his tail tucked between his legs. He no longer has that ability to go in there and, and demand being the leader of the entire franchise and running the front office as well as being head coach. So, hey, why don't you give him a call? See what's up. You know, talk to Aaron Rodgers. See if Rodgers, who obviously respects him and there's been comments made uh, certainly when I think uh, Pat McAfee had some glowing things to say about him when he was retiring. I mean, who doesn't? It's 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 the greatest coach in history. He's got six Super Bowl rings. So who doesn't say glowing things about Bill Belichick, except maybe some of his ex-players? But like the idea that they would go now and hire Bill Belichick for either one of these teams, I just don't see the fit. I think you are, uh, for the for the Jets, I just don't like the idea of bringing Bill Belichick in. I still think he would want complete control, especially with the Jets. Like, I, I, I can't imagine that even, like, it never even crossed my mind, but somehow we're still talking about it, mainly because every Jets fan hates the head coach and the idea that Belichick would, you know, come here and save the franchise. I don't think he'd consider the Jets. I think he despises the Jets. But even if it was some sort of consideration, I don't think it's a fit right now. I am, I, I've been on the record about this forever. I think you go with Aaron Rodgers. You stick with this coaching staff who never got the opportunity to play, with, to you know, coach and go ahead with a season with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. I want him and Hackett, that tag team that they have won two MVPs with, I want to continue with that. I want to continue with this offense. I want to take a redo on this season. That's what I think is best for this team. I think with the defense, you improve the offensive line, you get them another weapon, and you go and attack this thing like you did last year, and hopefully you're in the same position where you're considered one of the favorites to be in, included in the conversation playing this week in the two games we'll talk about later as we go through the show here at 877-337-6666. And you know damn well how I feel about the Giants situation. I want them to draft a quarterback. And if they do that... As crazy as this may sound to some, I would trust Brian Dable and Joe Shane drafting and developing a quarterback a lot more than I would right now Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick just ruined just ruined Mac Jones. Now, I don't know if Mac Jones was, was savable, but he turned a promising first year into a disaster next two years. And whether it was the coaches he decided to give him, whatever the case may be, Mac Jones turned into a promising rookie into one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. So I would rather go with the guy who got his job here for what he did with Josh Allen, what he was able to do with Tommy Cutlets, what he was able to do last year with Daniel Jones. I'd rather continue on that path for both of these teams than to go hire Bill Belichick. But what makes me excited is the idea that Bill Belichick, with a year rested, looking to get right back in the NFL next year, is available in case these scenarios turn out what they typically do for our football teams and be absolute disasters. And there's Bill Belichick waiting in the wings, especially for the New York Giants, to step in and take over a franchise he's been connected to for 30 years. That's that The idea that he did not get a job excites me that next year I have the ultimate fallback. And as we go through next year, and hopefully we'll be rooting for a team with a young quarterback to have a good season and the young quarterback to progress maybe late in the season or Daniel Jones on his last breath with the New York Giants trying to prove himself to another organization inside the NFL has a great year, whatever the case. We'll be rooting for victories. But as we go through the season, if we know the season starts to turn bad, worst-case scenario Bill Belichick waiting in the wings. 
That is not a bad fallback. 877-337-6666. We got Knicks on the table. We got Jets and Giants and Belichick on the table. And I can't believe he did not. I cannot believe the Falcons did not hire him. I can't believe it. I cannot believe that Rabel and Bill Belichick, who to me are arguably, I don't know, two of the top five coaches in the NFL, both lost their jobs, one, and two, could not get hired when all of these teams were looking for head coaches. I, I cannot fathom that both of those guys could be sitting out a year when, to me, they're about as good as they come in the NFL. We'll obviously get to the games. We'll give you the picks in the 3 o'clock hour. I'm looking forward to both of them. I think they're going to be both good games. We'll get to the picks and different things. We'll break down the games a little bit. We'll get to what Kevon Thibodeau had to say about Saquon Barkley and who gets paid and who doesn't get paid and when they get paid. He had quite the opinion on a podcast today. We'll get to that. We'll get to the latest rumor around the Yankees that I would not pay one single bit of attention to. That's absolute lies. Call us, 877-337-6666. Powered by Paramount+. Plus. Stream the NFL on CBS live on Paramount+. Plus. I don't know who does it better. I think he does. All right, 227. I'm being silly here on a Friday morning. Let's go. 877-337-6666. You can also hit me up on Twitter, at CMAC, WFAN, or on X. I I, I think that's going to be something difficult for me forever. I don't think I'm ever going to say X. It's just it's Twitter. Because you tweet still, right? It's still called a tweet. You don't call it all. Oh, I was, I was, exting. It's tweeting. That's how it works. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. And I got to be honest. I know. You know. I heard the. I heard Evan talking about it, and you know they were they were discussing whether or not you can go to Aaron Rodgers and say, "Hey, Aaron, I know you you like Salah. Okay, I understand that, but." I mean, if Belichick is available and he would come here, I mean, if he let you keep, if he let you keep Hackett for a year, I mean, he's he's the greatest coach in NFL history. Come on, let's. We have an opportunity to get him right now. We you know we got to take this opportunity. You know, you know, I don't think Bill Belichick has any any interest in coaching for, for Woody Johnson. I mean, haven't we established this? We talked about it. When he did that, the Bill Bill and Bill 30 for 30 or whatever documentary it was, he didn't even want to step foot in the Jets' locker room. Like, he, he despises the Jets' franchise right now. And if ownership changed, maybe he'd be open to it. But I don't think there's any chance. So the idea, oh, we have, Robert, we have Bill Belichick available and Robert Sala is still the, giant, the Jets' head coach. I don't think that's an option. Now, Vrabel may be, and I think Vrabel's an excellent coach and far better than Robert Sala, but it's not necessarily, you know, it seems it seems silly to say. Right? I understand how a lot of people have a problem with just the logic of it's not necessarily about who's the best head coach. It should be. Most, most scenarios, it is. But for the Jets right now with Aaron Rodgers and being comfortable, and, you know, you do have what, what Aaron Rodgers wants is important right now. All right, it's not it's not what people want to hear. People don't like the idea of the of the players running the organization, but when you bring in Aaron Rodgers, he does on some level. And I want him as comfortable inside that offense as humanly possible. I do not want to get rid of the offensive coordinator, and I don't want to bring in another head coach here. And if I knew if I if I was going to get someone, I knew I knew for sure. And I know everyone's going to say, "Well, he's the worst coach in the NFL. Everyone's better." But I don't necessarily know that. And you don't know, if you, if you hire some coordinator, you don't know. So if I was going to hire someone who I knew for sure, a Vrabel, you know, a Pete Carroll, if that would have been possible, I think Pete, Pete would probably come back to the Jets. But if you were going to hire a coach you knew for sure was better than Robert Sala, how can you force Hackett on him? I just don't think it works that way. I don't think you can force 
Like, I don't know if Rabel comes in here and it's just like, yeah, whatever. I need a job. I'll take it. I think you guys got a good chance to win, so I won't rock the boat. I'll just come in here and be head coach, much like Sirianni. Just, you know, he won't run the offense. He won't run the defense. He'll just kind of, you know, be the head coach. I don't know if you can ask that of a legitimate good head coach with a track record. So for me, if I'm the Jets, I'm the Giants, I love the idea that both of those coaches who, again, in my opinion, are top five inside the NFL, could be waiting in the wings next year. And in New I mean, and especially for the like Vrabel and the Jets, the Jets right now, now we got to see how the season plays out. And obviously, if they win, the job might not be available. So you'd have to figure out how could they lose and still have a good pitch to a head coach like that. And I think you can still make it. Like, I still think that defense, and if you can go about, you know, building the offensive line, get a quarterback in there, because presumably if they're losing, uh, either either Aaron Rodgers was hurt again or just didn't play well and not well enough to win, so you're moving on. But the Jets are a New York team. The Jets are, you know, it's a premier city. I, I think that's a it's as it's a good it's as good a job as some others without a legitimate quarterback in the building. I think that defense fits Vrabel perfectly. I think he'd be excited to take over the helm of that defense. And it's just a matter of the same thing he was dealing with in Tennessee, the same thing that most teams that are looking for new head coaches are dealing with, and that's either developing, finding, or whatever, figuring out the quarterback position. And that's where the Jets would be, assuming that job is open next year. But that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited. I mean, I'm shocked by it. I, I, I'm, I'm, and especially for the, for the Falcons, who, I mean, they were early on Belichick, early. And he had that second meeting early, and it just felt like everyone was talking about it. Bill Belichick was going to be the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. It was a, a fait accompli. It was going to happen. And then somewhere along the line, uh, you know, whether it's uh, he, Rich McKay, the CEO. Now, I did see the story that uh, Fontenau and Raheem Morris are going to now report directly to ownership as opposed to Rich McKay, which is how it was with Arthur Smith. So I don't know what that necessarily means about the change and how the structure of the organization is being run, but there's no other way to put it than Rich McKay and Fonnow won the battle between Bill Belichick. Like it came down to Arthur Blank deciding, do I break this whole thing down and hand the reins over to the best head coach in the history of the NFL? Or do I stick with a plan that I do believe in and I do think this team is built fairly well, and I like the defense, and I do like some of the offensive weapons, and I feel like the coach misused the running back and misused the tight end, and plus didn't have a quarterback. And I am a, I am a quarterback away from legitimately having a very good team. Now, he went Raheem Morris, who's, another def- who's a defensive head coach. Uh, they'll have to get in a legitimate you know, offensive coordinator and go about – finding a a quarterback to run that team. And they probably are a quarterback away from being at least good enough to compete, if not win that, that division next year. Because let's be honest, I mean, the, the the Bucks aren't very good. And if they give money to Baker Mayfield, I'm telling you, I, I do not I do not see Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield had a very nice year. If he loses, which I don't know if he will, but if he loses Evans, right, and then – I, I just don't see him. I see the same thing as Daniel Jones. I see a lot of uh, comparisons. I see a lot of parallels between Baker Mayfield and the Bucks and Daniel Jones and the Giants last year. I think it's a team that didn't have a lot of expectations, was supposed to be a losing team on a rebuild type thing. They brought in Baker Mayfield just to get through and figure out the quarterback position, and then they had such success and were able to make it to the playoffs and win a playoff game where they had no, they, it looks like they have no choice but to trust in Baker, who had a good year. They can't just give up on it. They can't win a division, win a playoff game, and then say, hey, you know, we'll figure out the quarterback position. What do you mean, figure out the quarterback position? Baker just beat the Eagles. So they have no choice but to pay him and to pay a quarterback. These are the numbers you have to do. But ultimately, I do not see Baker Mayfield lasting in Tampa Bay and turning them into a like a perennial playoff team. I just don't. Neither do I see it for Daniel Jones. 
So, I mean, inside that division, Atlanta could clearly, I mean, again, I think the Saints, one, I don't think their head coach is very good. Two, I don't think their quarterback is very good. And as as talented as that defense has been throughout the years, uh, it did not have a great year. And I could easily, you know, see them getting worse until they hire a new head coach. I think Carr absolutely stinks, especially inside the red zone. He's awful. And you look at the, the rest of that division, I think you could obviously, within, uh, you know, one head coach, one quarterback, change the, the, the direction of the Falcons rather easily. And so that's what this, the Arthur Blank thought. And instead of going into a situation where you bring in Bill Belichick, and that means instant instability. Mike, right, you're going to hire a new GM, and it's kind of going to be now a Bill Belichick thing. He's going to institute his culture. He's going to find, you know, he's going to make changes wide-sweeping through the organization. He's going to try and turn it into his regime, into, you know, New England South. And that takes time. That might not be an instant thing. You might, you'd be surprised. That might not be such a quick fix. And maybe we might find that out about Harbaugh, too, because Harbaugh is that kind of guy, too. Now, he's had success instantly everywhere he's gone. But you could see him stepping into a team that, as much as we all think you lay it at the feet of the head coach, and how te- he and he was awful. Don't get me wrong, but that team has underachieved consistently. He might step in there and see a lot of issues inside that organization and begin, you know, what he's hoping to be the first real landing spot for him that could last more than a couple of years. And even that could be some sort of, I don't want to call it rebuild, especially with a quarterback making that kind of money and that kind of talent. I don't think you want to just completely rebuild. You're going to try and win. But at the same time, it might take a little bit of a, you know, a cultural overhaul that takes a little bit of time. As opposed to hiring a a Raheem Morris who doesn't have the track record, who probably needs to win right away. I don't think Belichick is worried about losing his first year. He's Belichick. Raheem Morris can't afford to lose games. So you you come in, you figure out a quarterback, you keep it status quo. Raheem Morris hopefully improves the defense, gets an offensive coordinator in there who's able to use some of the weapons they have, which they do have, and use them better, and suddenly a quick turnaround, as opposed to what could be a little bit of a upheaval, cultural change, and a bit of a, a new plan that might take a year or even two, which ultimately I think you'll be better for because it's Bill Belichick. And in year two, three, you could be a legitimate contender as opposed to just being, hey, good enough to win a lousy division. But it's it's not an easy – it was a, obviously a difficult decision, which is amazing to me. It's amazing to me that we are looking at guys getting head coaching jobs – who are, you know, coordinators, who are, you know, big, you know, nice names inside this league, but you are talking about some of the greatest coaches in the league suddenly out on their ass for a year. I can't I can't believe it. I cannot believe Bill Belichick is not a coach inside this league. I cannot believe Rabel, with all these jobs open, is not a coach within this league. And we talked about what next year could bring. Next year could bring a lot of coaching jobs. And I think they're instantly I don't think this year dictates it. I think next year they have their pick. I, I would think. I, I think next year they're the two biggest names in the coaching world. And you could, we talked about it. You could have the Dallas Cowboys looking for a new head coach. You could have the Eagles looking for a new head coach. You could have the Giants and or Jets, or both, obviously, looking for new head coaches. You could find a lot of scenarios where good teams could be looking for a new head coach. There's a chance right now, I mean, there are still the idea that the, some of these teams, certainly Kansas City, there's been a little bit of, of uh, you know, discussion that Andy Reid might be calling a quits. I mean, if Andy Reid retires, I mean, what's more of a prestigious and wanted job than Kansas City with Mahomes? Now you're talking about an offensive genius. I don't know. I mean, Mahomes is so damn good, and we're going to get to it as we break down the games. Do you concern yourself with trying to get an offensive head coach? Would you be fine with just a good head coach in Vrabel coming in, bringing an offensive coordinator, probably handpicked by the quarterback, and go about it that way? Do you want to bring in another offensive coach? But ultimately, I mean, can you imagine Bill Belichick and Patrick Mahomes? I mean, that would be – I mean, can, Bill Belichick has the two, the three years – with Mac Jones, and then gets right back to what could be the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. And then the only thing I have with that, though, that's an interesting thought. That just, if he were to do that, 
if Bill Belichick, obviously, if he wants to break the record of Shula, that's a no-brainer, right? That's a no-brainer. He breaks it quickly. But, but, for legacy purposes, for all the fools that have called me over the last, you know, two weeks, however long it's been since Bill has been let go, and I've had numerous calls about he's overrated, look at his numbers without Brady, he was terrible in Cleveland, he was terrible with Mac Jones, if it's not for Brady, he you know, it's all Brady, Brady goes and wins the Super Bowl, he turns around and turns the New England Patriots into dog crap after three years, like, it's all Brady, it's all Brady. If he goes and coaches Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, Will he always be labeled or will he feel like I never, I always like, is that the easy way out? And now you have coached and he will be massively successful there. Of course he will be. It'll be Patrick Mahomes. So does that legacy always go, well, he did it with Brady and Mahomes and he ran to the easy out of taking Patrick Mahomes. And so he's got the two, arguably the two greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport. And we'll never know what kind of coach he actually was because anyone could have coached Tom Brady and anyone could have coached Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if he looks at it that way. I think he just wants to win football games. But that would that would be some sort of there, – there would be people out there who would have that feel of like, well, great, okay, great. Anybody could step in and coach that team. Anyone could step in and coach that quarterback. But Bill Belichick is available. And for him to be available next year and for Vrabel to be available next year is the ultimate fallback position for both of our teams. 877-337-6666. When we come back, talk a little bit about Kayvon Thibodeau and some of the comments he made on a podcast about the Giants spending money and why I think he's a little misguided. But could it be a little bit of an insight into how the team overall felt about last offseason. Chargers and the New York Giants have exchanged their draft picks. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. Eli Manning and Philip Rivers. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. So, you know, I talk about uh, movie trailers and how much I like movie trailers. This popped in my head just before. Uh, I have a, a rid, uh, an episode of Daddy, Why You Still on the Potty? And today is a good one. This is for you don't know, Daddy, Why You Still on the Potty? Is where I hide from my children in the bathroom and they wonder why I won't come out and play with them. Because I need five minutes, that's why. That's why. So today I watched a great movie trailer. I'm actually pumped about this. And normally... What jumped out at me is normally I hate these. I hate the retreads, right? I'm, I'm typical. It's stereotypical. I think most people feel this way where the, it just feels unoriginal. Oh, you're going you're gonna to make a, a remake of a great movie and ruin it. Fantastic. So my guy, Jake Gyllenhaal, my birthday buddy, we have the same birthday. And, you know, I'm confident in my manhood. He is a good-looking dude. I've always liked Jake Gyllenhaal. He's coming out with a remake of Roadhouse, one of my all-time favorite movies. I mean, Patrick's that's right in that's the golden era of Patrick Swayze, right? It's Point Break, it's Roadhouse, uh, obviously Dirty Dancing, which isn't as much in my up my alley as some of the others are. But I mean, Patrick Swayze, Ghost, love Patrick Swayze. Get off my train! I could watch that scene over and over again. I'd do anything for a drag. Just one drag. Love Ghost. Love Patrick Swayze. And Roadhouse kicks ass. The name is Dalton. So Jake Gyllenhaal is making a remake. And it actually looks pretty good. So I watched the trailer. I suggest you go watch it. It's excellent. He plays a, a former, I'm assuming disgraced. I guess something happens. He's down on his luck. But he's a former UFC fighter who is now, you know, it's, it looks like sleeping in his car, like really on his, down on his luck. And someone offers him the job of, if you haven't seen Roadhouse, he's a, a bouncer at a bar. And they, uh, Patrick Swayze is hired to go and, you know, in this bad neighborhood where there's fights always at the bar and it's ruining the bar. And obviously then there's like some villain who runs the neighborhood and, and wants that property and the, the bar stands in his way, all that. 
so that he sets up the fights and makes it a bad place to go to, and, and Patrick Swayze's brought in to kind of save it. So I guess that's that's obviously the story. So Jake Gyllenhaal is brought in as a UFC, former UFC fighter to help security and turn the bar around. And the thing that completely shocked me was, and I had no idea about it, was Conor McGregor plays like the the villain in it, where he's one of he's like the main henchman for the rich guy trying to buy up the bar, and he looks and and like it. He looks legit. First of all, he looks like he put on about 25 pounds of muscle from when I last saw him fight, which, by the way, first to admit, not a big UFC fan. I have no idea when the last time he fought was or if he's put on a ton of weight. I know he's gone from weight class to weight class and and trying to prove that he's the best. He'll fight it this way. He'll fight it that way. But he looks jacked in this movie. Jake Gyllenhaal looks awesome. And you know what? I just, I'm excited for Roadhouse. I love the original. And normally I hate when they make these remakes. I hate it. But this one actually looks pretty good. So I'm looking forward to the I'm looking forward to the remake of Roadhouse with Jake Gyllenhaal. I watched the trailer today. Go watch it. It looked pretty good. And I remember we were watching there was something. Remember like I guess it was during one of the big fights or something where Jake Gyllenhaal was like they it was like a they had the video of him showing up at one of these uh, uh, UFC fights and filming something before the the actual main event took place, and he walked out, and he was jacked. Or like they were, he was at the weigh-in and everything. And they were talking about how he's always making a movie. I had no idea it was Roadhouse. I had no idea it was Roadhouse. Roadhouse kicks ass. I'm looking forward to a remake of Roadhouse. All in. 877-337-6666. Stuart in Brooklyn, what's up, Stu Pot? Uh, good morning, C-Man. All right, here we go, Stu. What do you got? Let well, me, here's I, the test. Let's go. Let's see if you I, pass. I, let's say this much. Uh, was that an impressive win last night? Ah, uh, you failed, Stu. What? You failed. I'm very disappointed. I'm sorry, I'm but very, I don't do, I don't do I'm movies. I'm very disappointed. You, it doesn't do matter. Movies. You always you always have something to say about the topic I was talking about just before I well, went to you. Let, let's just say this much. From what I've heard about that movie, it was a very good movie. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I mean, thank I you for placating it. me. It's okay. Thank you. Oh, well, I always try to placate you. Yes. So you're the man, after all. Of course the I'm man. the man. I am the man right now. Okay. okay. So yes, that Nick game was one hell of a game. Um, well, I mean, by 30, uh, I did not see that coming. points? Yeah, I did not see that coming. Uh, no, neither did I. I thought they'd have a chance against, against beating them, but yeah. not by that. No, I, I, did mean, not, I did not see a blowout that was over. You know, seven minutes into the game. I did not see that. It's just like the Sixer game the other night. Where they yeah, well, the a couple weeks ago, yeah. A week and a half ago, whenever it was, yes. Yeah, it was similar I mean, to that. Um, it, it was, But this was a little different because you knew going in, and they knew going in, that this was the end of a long road trip before they head back home. And if you could go out there and stick it to them early and make life hard for them early, and you saw it. Murray, Murray looked like he didn't want to compete. Then Jokic gets, you know, poked in the eye. And it just felt like these guys are like, all right, listen, we'll toss this one up and let's get back home. So that's why it's a little bit – it's a great game and a great win. And I'm not I'm win. not disparaging it at all. But at some point, it's a little hard to read. No, you can't read based upon somebody that – I mean, when you're you, really you, competing full force. You know you're not even close to being 38 points better than the Denver Nuggets. Like, you know that. No, they're not close. So it's, it's like it, it was just – on a normal night. Well, I mean, listen, they might be able to beat them on a normal – in a series, I mean, the Nuggets would be heavy favorites, but um, – But they would have a chance. The Knicks would have a chance. The way they're playing right now, they would have a chance. But I, I, I don't think you could look at this game and go, wow, the Knicks are better than the Nuggets. This is nope. this is crazy. It's uh-huh. just – I mean, I would have – I almost would have gotten that more out of a hard-fought game back and forth yes. and then as opposed the, to the as, big as blowout. The, uh, but, hey, it's, a, it's an impressive win. win. But they, they can't think that they're, they're 38 points better than them. I don't think anybody does. Points than yeah, I don't think anybody does. I don't think the Knicks do. I think the Knicks realized what they were facing, a Denver Nuggets team tired on the road for, you know, a week, a week, a week and a couple of days playing five games and looking forward to getting home. And they knew if they came out aggressive and played good defense that they could, you know, get them out of their sorts and, and have them you, waiting you for the plane ride home. Yeah, well, listen, they got a lot of minutes because it was a blowout. I mean, McBride played 21 minutes. Grimes played 23 minutes. 
Uh, Grimes was 7-11 from the field. He was 2-for-5 from three-point land. Uh, McBride was 4-for-5 from uh, behind the arc. Uh, you know, Hart played 26 minutes. The bench was able to play a lot of minutes because it was a blowout. Achua played 23 minutes, got 10 I rebounds. I mean, Achua, he seems to be a good player. He does. I mean, listen, he's a, he's a good bench piece. He's come he's come through certainly with rebounds. Well, he had, nine, ba- he had nine bounds the other night. He's got ten bounds uh, last night. And he so played a lot of minutes, but the other night he played less minutes. But he's a plus 18. They got in that deal. They tried to chew him. What's, what's the other guy's name? Uh, it was Flynn, right? They got Flynn in yeah, the deal? Flynn. Yeah. Uh, how's he doing? He played only four minutes. Uh, uh, yeah, he's they, been. They have bench pieces. They yeah, they... I mean, I don't think Flynn is much of a bench piece right no, now. I don't think they've noticed that. Oh, yeah, no, it's true. Well, I mean, listen, right now, with without Mitchell Robinson or Hartenstein, yes, he's he's obviously a big-time bench piece. He's the backup five. So he's come in and done a nice little – he's come in and done a nice job. It's remarkable how they've – because you look at the team, and for me, that's the issue uh, with the team, and that's where I want to bolster. I want to bolster the depth. Uh, but while I say that, and we'll see, I guess it's an Achilles thing uh, for, uh, for Hartenstein. If he's going to be out for a while – They might want to go out, but right now, the way Sims and Achua have stepped up, you feel better about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you would still want to go out and maybe bolster it. You feel better about that position because it doesn't sound like a, even if it's a week or two max, you would think that's max for Hartenstein that eventually he'll be back. And then Mitchell Robinson in the long term will be back, hopefully for a playoff run. And then you don't need any depth. You've got Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson. You feel good about that. Uh, it's the it's the guard position for me that I really want to bolster, and I want to get a leader of that second it's unit. Now I know McBride had a good night. I still I don't see it with McBride. I just don't. No, uh, but he hasn't had a, a huge opportunity to do so. He got 21 minutes last night and played fairly well. Right, but who do you think they should go out and get? The, uh, well, I mean Brogdon's the easy answer. Uh, Brogdon's someone he won the Sixth Man right. of the Year last year. He's the he's that perfect answer. Portland stinks. Uh, you you might be able to get him for you know a lesser package. Uh, I don't, you know, Fournier and, and some picks, uh, maybe a, a, a second round, two second round picks or something. What's that? Is Fournier playing? He played one game. He actually got into the game the other night. But Fournier is a, a trade piece because of his contract. Mm-hmm. They have to get somebody because that when Brunson, if he gets hurt or he's sitting down, they need somebody to take over and play efficiently with the second unit. I completely agree. That's that To me, that's the one piece that's lacking from the team. And, you know, it's it's not that it's lacking. I mean, they're 11-2 and two over their last 13, so it's hard to say anything is lacking, lacking. But when I try and project to see this team getting through the Eastern Conference, that's in a, in a seven-game series where, you know, they have time to really focus in. Like, I think, you know, Randall on a night-to-night basis is probably better than if you lock into a seven-game set and teams have an ability to really game plan for him night after night and and focus on his weaknesses. Now, he's been a little bit stronger this year, getting to the basket. He's relying on the three-point less. He's shooting it a little bit worse. He's right around a 30% shooter. He was a little bit better last year, I believe. So his numbers have come down because he's shooting it less, and he's more focused on getting to the basket, which I agree. I think that's his better skill set. But, I mean, we still have to prove that Randall can be a postseason performer. We know Brunson can be. We need Randall and Brunson to be what they've been, 30-point scores on a nightly basis, an entire seven-game series, especially if they want to beat the the, the Boston, the Milwaukee, or the you know uh, Philadelphia, or even Miami. They're going to have to – that's what they'll have to do. And right now, he's been unproven to be able to do that. But that's what they're relying on. The idea of not relying on that and getting someone, you know – better in there, getting a superstar that you don't have to rely on Randall, I think that's out the window. They have to rely on Brunson and Randall. The question is, can they get to a point where they'll have some depth where you feel better about having Randall uh, or specifically Brunson off the court for a few minutes and feel like you're not going to immediately go in the tank and turn a six-point lead back into a tie game or a tie game into a six-point deficit in the five minutes Brunson's off the court. Like That's the concern. So you got to figure out a way to get someone in here to add some depth and make that unit like it was it's funny because before the trade it felt like the second unit with quickly i don't know if you want to say better necessarily but worked together better like you felt like when quickly was running that second unit with with even if you left uh uh rj in the game 
it felt like it was a more cohesive unit. It, it wasn't as dynamic without Randall or Brunson, but it felt more cohesive. It worked better. The ball moved better. Everything felt a little bit better, even if it wasn't as dynamic because the, the players weren't as good. But it felt like the offense functioned at a higher level. And since the trade, it's almost the exact opposite, where now, the, which is obviously better and more important, the starting five feels extremely, extremely cohesive. And fits like a glove, and everybody, and Divincenzo being, you know, ha, has emerged as a, a better fit now inside this new offense. Uh, you know, OG has been amazing, and even Brunson and Randall have stepped up their game. Their assist numbers have gone up. The feeling of that first unit is much better, but the second unit has clearly suffered. And for whatever reason, the turnovers are up. That's the only negative thing about this trade. They went from like middle of the pack in turnovers to being the worst, uh, giving up the most turnovers in the NBA. So if you, besides that, which they've won 11 out of 13 games anyway, so you're not so concerned with it, but that could be something that could trip them up. They, you want to clean that up heading into a post game, a postseason series, and you want that second unit to be most more cohesive. You want that guy, like a quickly, to come in and be able to run that unit with a little bit more efficiency and be able to score on his own because really there's no one there who can score by themselves. They need to be facilitated, and right now I just don't trust like Grimes or, or uh, obviously Harden, um, Hardenstein. Grimes or uh, McBride to do that. So I'd feel better about getting some depth and securing that second unit where over the course of a, a long series, you don't have to rely every single minute on Brunson. 877-337-6666. We'll get to the uh, Thibodeau stuff in the next two hours. We'll get to the picks. I was awful last week. I'm going to turn it around big time. I feel great about these next two games. I feel terrific. Don't listen to Marco. He knows nothing about this. Listen to me. I've been bad in the playoffs. Yeah, I know. Well, we've I went zero and four. That's all. So, so now I'm, I'm. I was much better. I was one and three. I'm four and six overall because I I was four and two and then I was zero and four. What'd you do the first week? You were three and three. Three and three. So four and six. Well, me and you were four and six. Fleegelman, I know what you had a three and three week. You had a what'd you have this week? I uh, was four and two, then two and two. Okay, so you're six and four. We're four and six. Okay, so we need to hit the last three just to be over five hundred here, which would give me twenty five over for the year including the regular season. So I need to hit these three. That okay. was where I wanted to get to, 25. 30, I thought was a pipe dream. 25 over, nice number. That's a nice number for a, a season, nice no doubt about it. So we'll get to the picks. We'll break down the games. I'll get to the Thibodeau stuff. And again, one more Yankee bit of news that is absolute garbage, and I don't believe for a second. 